Think about this time of year, sometimes we'll say, I just don't have the Christmas spirit yet. <laughs> I thought about that saying the other day. Is that a good saying for us as Christians? Um, as though some spirit of Christmas kind of falls upon us at this time. Uh, I got thinking about that. I thought, well, that cannot be true. <laughs> um, there is a spirit that does fall upon us, but he would uh, introduce, as the spirit does, always spotlight Jesus Christ into our lives. So what makes us excited about Christmas is the spirit spotlighting the Savior. And all of a sudden you start going, this is a great time of year, right? And when you start to think about what the spirit does, he's focusing on Christ. And in this time of year, it is really focused on the incarnation of Christ. This, this moment in time that the God of creation steps out of heaven and takes on flesh and adds it to his deity. Ah, <laughs> That's what the Spirit, the Spirit illuminates in our life. So the next time you hear the, oh, I just have the Christmas Spirit, Share what the Spirit would share. <laughs> share the gospel with somebody. What a neat thing. I know about your home. I, don't, I said, Gina, no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. 8 a.m. next day, there's Christmas music playing in my house because um, uh, she loves her Christmas music and I love Thanksgiving but um, so forth. But I, just hearing her, she's cooking cookies or doing whatever she's doing around the house and she's got Christmas music on. And I, I love to listen to the words. I mean, did you hear some of the, the phenomenal words besides the three kings because we don't know there were three, but other than that, we won't go there. Um, there's some phenomenal words in, in these Christmas carols, these Christmas hymns. She was playing the other day, and some country singer was singing this, but I was listening to it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I want you to think about this just for a moment here. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how, sti how still we see thee lie. Above your deep and dreamless sleep, the stars, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth, I gotta get my King James going here, the everlasting light, the hopes, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Got me thinking, take your Bibles, look at Micah chapter 2, I mean Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, here we come to a song when we think about a little town of Bethlehem that speaks about the town of the Savior. But really, the song is not so much about the town, but the Savior that's in the town, that comes from the town, when you think about it. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem of Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, listen to this, and from the days of eternity. Wow, what a statement. What a statement. And this song we think about is, is telling us that from this little town, this small town, I'll talk about that in a minute, is coming the Savior of the world. Now, think about great leaders down through the age. I jotted a few down. Um, someone like Abraham or King David, uh, his son Solomon, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, probably one of the greater ruling kings in the world besides Solomon. Alexander the Great, uh, Caesar Augustus, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Patton, Reagan, so forth, right? Great leaders. No one makes pilgrimages to their birthplace. 
I mean, people will go and say, well, this Abraham was built, you know, born, I think, Springfield, Missouri, is that correct? Somewhere like that. Um, you go see his little cabin or something like that. But when you think about Bethlehem, if you go there now today, of course, there's a Catholic church built over <laughs> some site, but, but people go there. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. People think about where Jesus was born, where he died and where he was buried. There's big, you know, of course, arguments where all this happened, but it's an amazing thing. After 2,000 years, people are still making pilgrimages to those. But when you think about this list of these other men, as great as they were in their roles in God's providence, none of them could save you. In fact, many of them brought great destruction to a lot of people. But Jesus is different. From ages ago, God laid down this plan to bring his son at the right time, in the right spot, to bring salvation to the world. Listen to Galatians chapter 4. You know this verse, verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, i.e., when God's plan hit the exact moment, not a day earlier, not a day short, at the exact time, I love that thinking, God sent forth his son. Can you imagine that picture in heaven? Hebrews chapter 10. Jesus says, look, a body you prepared for me. Sacrifice and offering does not please you. And the Lord Jesus steps out of heaven and the Spirit of God places him in the womb of Mary in that miraculous statement of Luke chapter 1, verse 35. There, the Son of God, the creator of the world, is now in the womb of Mary. And, and Paul reminds us that this is the fullness of time that God sent forth his son. And, and think about this, born of a woman, born under the law, born in Bethlehem, I added that part. Because it's important to understand, he came one like us so he could represent us. <laughs> See, you and I need to represent, you need some, we need someone to represent us. We need someone to be our mediator. We need a second Adam to come and undo what the first Adam did. And that's Jesus. He's born under the law. Who can do that? Who can keep the law? Who can beat the law, fulfill it perfectly? Who can reflect the perfect character of the law? None of us. And so Jesus came to fulfill all those things. In our text here, this is a interesting verse it's yet another promise of the coming messiah and it, it, micah's ministry was a, a difficult ministry um, in a way that he was talking to people who wouldn't listen so micah's ministry runs through the fall of the northern tribes 725 assyrians come take the northern tribes 10 tribes away they go to captivity micah is sent to the southern tribes to say hey this is going to happen to you oh micah Man, things are great here. The southern kingdom's in full prosperity. You know, yeah, we're, you know, we're worshiping other gods and burning babies. You know, but we're doing good. And Micah keeps telling them God's judgment is coming. And for the first three chapters of Micah, if you go back and read it, it's pretty dark. It's, you're going to die because <laughs> of your disobedience. But like so often in the scriptures, the prophet Micah turns at the end, inspired by God, after these three chapters of destruction, four and then five, turns to the promise of how God is going to fix this broken world. This is amazing. 
Yeah, the first three chapters, I just read them again today because I, I read through this book again real quick. It's dark, it's, it's full of doom, and then all of a sudden, there's a Savior coming. And by the time you get to verse 2, you begin to realize that this Savior was great. I think sometimes we think, man, the world's getting bad. Bad things are happening. I mean, uh, but, but yet in Israel, can, can you imagine what they were doing? God had presented himself as their God. He had divided waters. He had fed them bread from heaven. He had flown quail in for them to eat. He had killed their enemies. He had given them an amazing land. And yet in the end, they reject him so badly that God sends judgment across the nations. Micah sees what's coming in 605 B.C., think about this, Jehoiachin is, is ruling, he's, the, he's a wicked king, and God sends Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar uh, seizes the wall, comes in, wipes him out, takes Daniel, his friends with him, and off they go to Babylon. Sets up another puppet king, Jehoiakim. He fails to do what Nebuchadnezzar wants, so he sends another siege in 596, I think somewhere in there. Then he sets up a third king. Zedekiah. Zedekiah rules for a while, obeys him, but in 586 rebels against the king and he finally brings the last wave. And this is where the Bible speaks that he really leaves no stone unturned in Israel. He burns everything, destroys it. And this is the state of this. And if you look at, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 5, I want you to understand how bad it is. Micah says this, You muster, yourself in, muster yourselves into troops. Daughters of troops, they have laid seas against us. With a rod will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. And I think he's speaking about Zedekiah there. So it's bad. It's, it's a gloomy, not looking good for everybody type of deal going on here. But verse 2, in the middle of all that, but you Bethlehem, O little town of Bethlehem, is going to come this great Savior and I, I love this verse. You're too little to be among the clans of Judah. So Bethlehem sits about five miles southeast of, of, of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a little farming community, particularly this time. They have great, great fields of grain there and orchards and vineyards, and it's very prosperous. Um, but yet it's small. It's insignificant. You're too little. You're not, you're not known for who you are. You're not Jerusalem with the elite uh, religious leaders. You have no heritage that the Messiah should come from you. You're not like Jerusalem or Hebron or Gilead. But then he says in the text, notice a ruler will come forth. And not just any ruler. Notice it says from of old, from ancient days. From eternity. Jesus is not some human that all of a sudden gained the spirit of God and, you know, walked around and was a good example for a long time before he was martyred. He is God in flesh. And so this correlates with some great Christmas verses we like. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Isn't that beautiful? Hear that verb there? A son will be given to us. The greatest gift we could ever have is knowing Jesus Christ. And here, a thousand, you know, Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ, there's this child going to be born. He's a son. He'll be given to us. 
And then, of course, the, uh, the Old Testament does looks, looks both close, far, and near um, as it looks. And it says the government will rest upon his shoulders. We know that will happen someday. He will rule and reign. And then it says this about this one coming from this nobody town, this little town. His name will be called what? Wonderful. Anybody know the next phrase? Counselor. Mighty God. And then he uses this term, eternal father. Wow, isn't, isn't that a little bit what John 1, 1 says? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so here, all these years before, speaks of this, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever more, forevermore. Acts chapter 13, David said, I mean, Paul said of David, he says, his bones are with us. Speaking of Psalm 16, David died. He's not talking about David. <laughs> There's somebody coming through that line. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Israel with all its sin and destruction and such a mess, the Bible in this beautiful little text, this little verse about little Bethlehem, tells us that one will rise from a nobody town, from parents really unknown to the religious elite, revealed by lowly shepherds and worshipped by magi that are following a star. Someday we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 2 and we're going to figure out who these magi are and what that light was. Uh, I think we can learn a lot from that. And here it is, he comes. And at the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, we'll quote with this, Revelations 1.8 says, as Jesus speaks, I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> I am the first and the last. And yet, for us, and when we first see the Messiah, he's in a manger in a little no, nobody town, Bethlehem. And we sing of that. And I, and I think there's just some wonderful lessons to think about as you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes in humility. So those who receive him and believe in him by faith that he has, he has the answers to our sin problem, that he can save us from our sins, we act like him. We're humble. God humbles us. And we love, that's why we love teaching the doctrines of grace because we realize that God did not have to save us. But he did it through Jesus Christ. So here's this great and mighty eternal God who humbles himself and becomes the God-man. Second of all, gives you a lot of hope. A lot of hope. That, that God would send his son and Jesus would take that, that command and step out of heaven and come and rescue us. So Christmas is about a lot of hope, right? And I think that's what the Spirit of God does. It reminds us that what we believe is true. And though the world may sing our songs for a few weeks or maybe a month and then turn away from them, we know those truths to be true. And they're hope for us as Christians. Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. And he is coming to establish his kingdom. And so not only do we see the humility of Christ and mimic that, not only do we have hope, but we have such a glorious future. That same babe those kids sang about. And Micah 2 tells us is coming. When he shows up, every knee's gonna bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Jesus and he is Lord. And so what a great time. Christmas isn't about the Christmas spirit. 
It's about the Spirit exposing Christ to us again, right? In a unique way of his incarnation. So as you listen to those songs, whether it's uh, Celine Dion or Alan Jackson (laughs) singing those great songs, boy, stop and listen to them. There's some great words written in those hymns uh, for us to remind us, to give us hope, joy, and humility. I think that's the mark of a Christian in a lot of ways. Amen? We're so glad you all came. Some of your parents aren't here all the time with us. We, we love that you're here. We love your kids being here. Um, and thank you for letting us teach them great truth like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just an opportunity to hear these children sing, Lord. Thank you for the teachers who not only taught them the songs, but taught them the theology that came along with those songs. And Lord, we pray for the salvation of those little ones' lives. Lord, we pray that you would awaken them and give them an understanding of their sin and a need of a Savior, Lord. Give them an eternal relationship through Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, we pray for their parents. Give them strength, Lord. Help them to know Christ if they don't, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, as we've spoken for this season. Uh, your Spirit, the Spirit of God, stirs our hearts at this time of life. Because the God-man is on the earth. <laughs> he's been born. And he's headed for the cross. And so, Lord, we find, we find great strength in this, Lord. So I pray that each and every one of us, that we'll be encouraged this, this Christmas season, Lord, to think of our Savior who did so much for us, Lord. May that reflect in how we care for others as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.